Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I am Jeff Sharon. I am with Drew Glukov and Eric Lopez. Guys, bit of a, okay, let's, this is one of those, like, uh, let, let's all circle the wagons podcasts, right? Let's, let's all come together, hug, sing kumbaya. Did the sun come out, like sun Drew comes, predicted. Like Drew, out, so, know, Drew's pre- so Drew's so Drew's news. A put night the death cl- right put the death cap for Cutie Records back in the closet. We're fine here. All right. It's you know UCF football is two and one. We'll talk about the loss to Louisville. Obviously, what's going on in the well, in the bye week? What we're what you know? Obviously, the injury to Dylan Gabriel is a massive blow. A massive blow. And Drew, you're going to talk about the details on that and Isaiah Bowser and I'm sure some of the other guys who got hurt too. Uh, we also got, uh, later on, Eric, you spoke with Anne-Marie Watson of UCL Volleyball. We'll have that conversation on the show as well. And Bryson Turner is going to join us to talk about volleyball too, as well as soccer and a win from men's golf and, uh, updated, uh, baseball roster. So lots to talk about in this show, but of course the big story right now in UCF land is football after that really, uh, heartbreaking loss at Louisville, um, you know, it, it's it, it, okay. This is one of those things where you can't, you, you can't, Todd Dagenet would tell me like, you can't turn this loss into two losses, right? You can't let the fact that you lose 42 to 35 on a 70 some yard pick six with 13 seconds to go suddenly destroy your mindset for the next game and the next game and the next game. But you know, it, it's it's not just how the game was lost. It's the collateral damage. Uh, Dylan Gabriel uh, suffered a broken clavicle on the final play of the game. Stupid lateral play. I actually hate the lateral play. I thought that actually, I, I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm second guess. I, I was a little surprised that they went with that play and not try to hail Mary because I felt like with Dylan's arm, they probably could have gotten close. They probably were close enough that they could give it get it give it a shot. He is out indefinitely. His statement says, I'd like to start by thanking my family, friends, coaches, teammates, and fans for all the love. Unfortunately, in last night's game, I fractured my clavicle. And by the way, it's on his left shoulder. That's his throwing shoulder side. I thank God that I will not need surgery. But at this point, there is no timetable for my return. Thank you to everyone for their support during this time. I know I'll be back better than ever. Go Knights. Charge on. All right, Drew. What do we make of this? Well, first things first, I looked, out, I looked outside the window, and the sun is indeed shining. So the sun did come up. Sun is up. Uh, this is your not- biggest breaking story you've ever broken, Drew. I know. This just did sun rises. Hit, Details the, hit, at hit, the, hit the bell on the notification. <laughs> <laughs> 
send the push alert down to yeah. your phone. Let's go. But I mean, here, here's the truth. Uh, you know, this, this derails this season, but it doesn't end the season. Uh, you know, the, this, it, it's, it becomes a change of priority. Obviously uh, now it's about getting freshman Mikey Keene ready to start. Um, we're probably going to see more Joey Gatewood in there as, as a change of pace. Uh, I'd love to see him throw the ball just so that, you know, you come on the field and you don't always see the run, but we did uh, see those run packages in the Louisville game with him out there. Oh yeah. They tried it a couple of times that you saw a lot of it in the, the latter part of the Bethune Cookman game, but basically they were switching guys uh, every two plays. They were mm-hmm. switching. Almost which, reminded me of that Florida, Florida state game, Merrick with, uh, Noah Brindice and Doug Johnson, where they would switch off every other yeah. play. Remember that? Yeah, 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 I do. Anyway, Drew, go ahead. It got to the point where the the, the guys in the stat area were having trouble keeping up who was on the field. Yeah, was, and, and was I was in, listen. I was in the PA booth, and and in football PA, you're if there's a new quarterback, you're supposed to announce who the new quarterback is. But they were switching off every other play. I just decided, screw it, I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Because it was happening every other play. I'm like, you know who's in a game of quarterback now. So so I, I, I do feel bad for some of the perfectionists out there. I apologize for that. But I was like, it, it would have been ridiculous. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I, I understand a lot of people were very upset early on over the loss and then compound it with uh, the injury to Dylan Gabriel, which took, took the, the nerves from a 9 to a 12. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of people kind of flew off the deep end online. We, we, we saw. Uh, really? Yeah. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know. don't say. Some rather uh, prominent people too. I, would I, say. I, I may have been on the receiving end of some of those over the top. Crazy Clearly it was your fault. Things. We lost. <laughs> oh, apparently it's totally my I think fault. We all, we all, well, we all saw it. We all saw everything that was going on. Yeah. I mean, every, everything was my fault. You know, uh, I, yeah. I'm sorry. I won't observe things during the game anymore. <laughs> <laughs> But but seriously, uh, when you look at everything, in all honesty, this could not have happened at a better time. If you had to pick a time for these things to go wrong, this is the best time for it to go wrong. Out of conference, you're, you you know you haven't even started your conference schedule yet. The goal is the goal is not undefeated. I mean that that's the pie in the sky thing because you know it's almost impossible to run the tables. But the goal is win a conference championship because you are in full control of winning the conference. You know. Uh, so that hasn't been changed. That's still the goal. And, and the other thing is you've got the bye week. So you've got the extra week, get players healthy, because there was a lot of injuries. In this this yeah. was a rough game. A lot of guys went down. Especially a lot of players. The, the defensive injuries, I think, are the ones that are – those end up being like the nagging ones. Obviously, Dylan Gabriel's devastating. And also, we forgot to mention Isaiah Bowser going down too. Uh, Isaiah Bowser going down. Jalen Robinson got hurt. Then we got the, the defensive side, uh, Tatum Bethune and Corey Thornton. Uh, Matt Leak uh, tried to get out there, couldn't couldn't play. That's, so he's six, still that's dealing. six huge guys. That's like yeah. your top six guys on the whole team. Almost. I've got to give Cole Schneider a lot of credit. He moved over to center. Played very well at center. Very, very well. On his position <laughs> – but I mean that that's but what, that's a rippling effect. There's a rippling effect because now you're yeah. moving him from guard to center, and yeah. you know. You, no, he, well, that's that's what you want your your veterans to do, right? Is you got to step stepping up. in stepping in the moment of need. And I remember looking at the backup center during the spring game, and I was just like, Yeesh, because the the snapping was just absolutely horrendous. But other than one or two uh, low snaps, uh, Cole Schneider did an outstanding job. So I got to give him a lot of credit stepping in and making that Matt Lee injury a lot less impactful uh, on the team. But I mean, 
there's still a loss there, but this gives chance for, for a little bit more healing. Uh, you're going to get to the, to the, the real meat of the schedule, which is conference play, obviously Navy, uh, Indianapolis coming up, not this Saturday, but the following October 2nd and then East Carolina before you start getting to the, the really big boys with Cincinnati and Memphis. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, uh, based on the limited time that we've seen Mikey Keene on the field between the spring game, which we saw pretty extensively, and then during the, the Bethune game, uh, he's got a lot of similar tools that Dylan Gabriel has as far as physical abilities. Uh, the, the real question is, it's really mental. Uh, can he maintain the composure that you need? Oh, experience. Yeah, exactly. It's more experience than me- when, you know, because mental makes reps. Right, it's about the reps. Some yeah. some quarterbacks, you know, like you know, some some quarterbacks need more le- time to learn than others. Uh, you know, it, it it it's really mental, and the experience adds to that mental aspect. The physical's there. You know, he's he's got the talent. He's got the legs. He's got the arm. Uh, he has a good pocket presence. The question is, can he put it all together consistently against the starters on FBS teams? And we'll find out. Eric. You know, the way I view this game is, I mean, first of all, can we give a quick shout out to Tremont Morris Brash in his first game back after the suspension, making one of the most clutch defensive plays I've ever seen in in, in UCF history, getting that make with the quarterback pressure, forcing the turnover on that interception and saying, I mean, you're not going to criticize Louisville play calling there. Like we've done with the other play after that, where everybody somehow blames the play call for wrong with that play. I agree. And there was nothing wrong with that play. Tremont blew it up and he made a fantastic play. And all of a sudden put UCF in a position to win the game. When it looked like this thing was, you know, either they could lose on a field goal or go to overtime. That was one of the most clutch plays I've ever seen, but it goes into the, it goes into the trash basket of, you know, he got topped the next play. Great plays that got that got topped by an even greater play later. Uh, now everyone is going. Everyone was going on and on about the play calling on the interception. Ridiculous. But it was it was a good play call and the play worked. I think one guy who was the guy on Twitter who actually broke. Well, this while thing you down. looked that up, that, first of all, they were not in field goal range. They were no, they needed a good field they, goal they needed a good, Yeah, they were close to midfield. They needed a good and, twenty and yards, is, and there was only twenty three right. seconds. And they, yeah, they Correct. had three timeouts. But you're not going to get that on on a running play because Louisville had a had a seven man front. They were going so, seven man front. Right. And here's the thing: this is the hypocrisy. We play. We always we love to play the result criticism there. Oh, it didn't work, so it's a bad call. Three timeout. If he runs the ball and he gets stuffed, people are saying, "Why are you being conservative?" Because that's what we did with the last guy that was here. Why are you being conservative? Go for it. You've got Dylan Gabriel at quarterback. So that's where I think fans are unrealistic there when it comes to that. If if Dylan is able to hold on to the ball for an extra half second, which he couldn't because there was some pass rush up his face, if he it waits blitz. a half because of the blitz, if he waits an extra half second or second, that play is breaks wide open. Mm-hmm. It might go for 10 to 20, maybe longer, and probably he, win if, the game. Amari is fast enough where if he outruns everyone over the middle, that could have been a touchdown. Which is significant, which I am for coaches going for a touchdown instead of settling for field goals, especially when your kicker's career long is 38 yards. And 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 listen, let's give credit to Daniel Obarski. has not missed a kick this year yet. 
but he's not, 13 for 13 on extra points. Well, listen, he hasn't tried a field goal yet. But it's not even just him. Look at the Vikings. Uh, the NFL Sun in the week two, their kicker missed a, what, a 37-yarder in Arizona against the Cardinals. You know, not everybody has Matt Prater that can hit a 62-yarder. Shout out to Matt Prater, future UCF uh, alum. So, mm-hmm. uh, look, it was a wacky game. We said this last week. Could this defense c- contain a dual-threat quarterback like a Malik Cunningham? The clear answer was no, they cannot. They are a flawed defense. They have some holes. Everybody played hard, but they have some holes. That's going to continue. I've said this from since July. This is a transitional year. And to be honest, that's confirmed now. Where I disagree with Drew, I don't disagree with Drew. I don't think Drew, but the conference, I don't want the conference championships gone. That's done. You're out of it. Your focus on winning against Navy and getting Mike, we'll see if Mikey Keene, how well he plays. You mean the national championship? No, the conference championship's done. They're not going to win. Clarify that, that, Eric. It's it's not that it's done and over mathematically. It's still what your goal is. Should be the goal. Yes. But I was going to say, I think it's fair to say we haven't played a conference game. But no, here's here's why. Because I think fans just assume that Mikey Keene's going to step in and pick up where Dylan Gabriel left off. No way. He's going to drop off. There has to be. He's young. He's a human being. He's a kid. There's going to be a drop-off. They still got to play Cincinnati. They still got to play SMU. I didn't think they were going to win the conference with Dylan Gabriel. I certainly don't think they're going to win it without him. So I think people have to be realistic. This is where fans, this is why fans get all flipped out because they have unrealistic expectations. And, it would, and when it doesn't get met, they have to blame somebody else instead of it realizing, hey, maybe we're just not that good enough. Maybe we have too many injuries to dig, or maybe we're too young. Speaking of which, yeah. let us discuss the column that, in the Orlando Sentinel that popped up from Mike Bianchi, the headline, I will read it, says delusional UCF fans need to realize it's okay to lose a game. I'm in favor of the overall point about you have to, you know, there, this, this game was, is not indicative of a systemic problem within UCF. And we, and we now need to drop down to FCS or something. Okay. I think a lot of fans are really, really kvetching about this. And, and, and part of that is because of the hope that you have with a new season, especially with all the, the new car smell, right? Gus Malzahn plus Dylan Gabriel plus the big 12. And I feel like UCF fans do feel pressure now that, you know, now do we have to prove ourselves worthy of that big 12 invitation? Right. And you don't, because you already have it. Okay. So, but <clears throat> there's one thing I disagree with Bianchi on. And he said, uh let's see blah 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 blah. uh oh here it is is okay shouldn't such a loss almost be expected is louisville a great team and a great program no i disagree i think louisville could be a good program we don't know good could be a good team we don't know i think they're they've played in new year's six bowl games they won conference champions yeah yeah yeah, that's a good program don't tell me it's not uh but guess what neither is ucf that's wrong ucf is a good program and i think ucf is a very good and talented team that the, the problem is everyone is, is assuming that there are systemic problems after a game that you basically lost on a coin flip, okay? It was the worst possible outcome of that play that happened. And I wanted to bring up some, Amari Johnson, who took a lot of flack for the drop that led the, batted the ball into the air and led to the interception. Okay? And that wasn't fair. And that, and that wasn't fair. And I, and, I, and I want to point something out. I pointed this out on Twitter, and I want to point this out again. Who was the last guy running after uh, the Louisville guy running down? Amari Johnson. Amari Johnson. He sprinted down that field. Could have thrown himself on the turf. We've seen a lot of guys do that and just get mad that he dropped it and, oh, crap. 
What did he do? Turn around and booked it down the other way. Almost ran the guy out of bounds until he got blocked in the back. Well, yeah, no every, everybody's playing hard. I think that's no, important. No to be, and and, like, and I'll tell you something. Give me 85 Amari Johnsons. And they'll be fine. He'll 85 be fine. Amari Johnsons. Correct. And, Correct. And, I, and I think that he deserves – he made a mistake. He tried really hard to make He's a human being. They're all day. human beings. They're not and, robots. And, and yes, thank you. I'm glad you say that because I think we treat all athletes, especially football players, as robots because they kind of look like androids out there in helmets and pads. Correct. And they're not. And uh, and again, this is this is just a bad break. Don't same for coaches, by the way. They're human break. beings yeah. too. By coaches the way, coaches too. And you know, you know, people are like, well, what about all the money? Money doesn't make you happy, man. Everybody knows that. No. And and the don't make a mountain out of a out of a molehill. Yeah, the loss sucks. It was it was it was hard to swallow. But you know what? There's still nine games to go, including all your conference games. Right. But I also think, but I also think people can't like, I've seen too many people even still on social media. Oh, Mikey Keene, he's going to be great. He's just going to step in. We're going to be fine. No, whoa, settle down. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Settle down. Like that's, you don't just assume you replace Dylan Gabriel and oh, you're just going to be fine. And I think that's part of the problem where perception, because Mikey Keene is probably going to struggle against Cincinnati. Oh yeah. That's normal. Oh, well, he's he's a freshman. I mean, fresh all freshmen. Look at how much right. Dylan Gabriel struggled early. Correct. Look That's why. Much, look how much Mackenzie Milton struggled in twenty six. Big time, bingo. That's why I'm throwing the conference thing out. Out. I think that's unfair now. That's I don't unfair. Think it's fair. I don't think it's fair to have it as an expectation. Correct. But I, I do Correct. think I do think Drew is right that it is still the goal that's up for at the, the team top of for the team board, for, for the team. team. Absolutely. Because but I think everything uh, yes. that UCF can control stems from that. Go ahead. From Drew. the team. Yes. I, yeah. I just want to point out because I pulled it up. Uh, now, Eric, you didn't do your, your picks for the season, uh, but I pulled it up and, and I'm the only one out of all of us that did not pick UCF to be in the conference championship game. Uh, but you and I, yeah, yeah. Jeff did pick Louisville to win that game. I did. I did. Yeah, I mean, I did that's a tricky game. Season. We said this before I the just, preseason. There was, something, there was something about Friday night on the road and and Louisville being the underdog that just didn't sit right with me. And I, I, listen, I didn't spend all night thinking about that pick. I spent like, maybe like, and this was before the season even started, like the the night before the season started. And I spent like maybe a fraction of a second thinking about that game. I'm not going to take credit. Well, it's tough. We said this before the season at Louisville, at Cincinnati, at SMU, all difficult games, all were possible losses. Even if you're fully healthy, now you're not. So to me, that's to be like, you just take it a game at a time. I think we just got to worry about Navy first. By the way, I think Joey Gatewood is going to play. is going to be a factor. So let's, and I, and I, fans better, I think you're going to see both Keen and Gatewood. Uh, in fact, I think you even, in fact, let's play it real quick. Gus Miles not even mentioned that, talking about that. Dylan Gabriel's injury and what he expects from Mikey Keen and Joey Gatewood. Obviously very tough way to lose on the road in Louisville. And then you add the, point that you lose your quarterback on the last play of the game, you know, it was definitely tough. Uh, we came back yesterday, uh, we had very good meetings, uh, we had a short practice, our guys were in good spirits, uh, you know, the bottom line is now that, you know, we're not going to have Dylan for a certain amount of time, everybody's got to raise their level, and really that was our message, um, you know, we got really good leadership, um, I think our guys fully understand that, now we're, it's really good that we got an off week uh, this week for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you know, to get Mikey more reps, uh, kind of build around him. Uh, you know, Joey's been here for what, a little over a month. And, uh, you know, we'll 
keep playing him in certain ways too. Uh, but overall, you know, our guys understand what we have ahead of us. Um, you know, the conference uh, schedule's coming up. Our guys are really excited about that. And uh, so we're uh, looking forward to this off week. All right, that was Gus Malzahn from his Monday presser. Uh, real quick on the column thing. Yes, the fans, some of them, some. And I think that's something that, that, that's kind of been lost here. Some, some unfortunately extraordinarily vocal fans. But that's every fan base in yeah. college football. That's part of college sports today. Some of it's because of the transfer portal. Some of it's because of the NIL. There's no loyalties to players. If they lose, they flip out and they take it out on social media. Whereas people like me, when the Dolphins get destroyed, I don't go to social media. I just stay in my room and just get in a fetal position. Uh, In the end, but I think it's hypocritical for columns and medias to be going after the fan base. Because I will say this, the majority of the fan base is fine. The majority of the fan base has passion for the program. I think that's a good thing. And the media has egged on the fans to this behavior. They have endorsed this behavior. They endorsed this behavior in 2017 when they say, go after the committee. They're a bunch of smucks. They're a bunch of cartels. They go after it. They had no problem endorsing the fans' behavior in 17 and 18 when they were just bad-mouthing every team, bad-mouthing the committee, bad-mouthing the system instead of just enjoying the ride of that win streak. The media is just as much to blame for this as the fans because they endorse this behavior but they get mad when all of a sudden it turns around. They're shocked when the fans turn it back on them and all of a sudden they turn on the team. Well, what I know is that all of a sudden the rainbows and unicorns show back up to the bounce house if UCF beats Navy in Annapolis in a couple weeks. So, Drew, the last word before we take a break here. Navy's tough to play. I mean, remember, Eric, you remember our conversation with Trey Neal about yeah, 2017? Yeah. The triple O. And what they do is they cut block, right? And and they beat the heck out of you. Even though Navy's bad right now, they just fired their offensive coordinator who's been there for, for a gazillion years. They're, they're still tough. They're still Navy boys, right? And, and they will, and, and they're, even though they're, a lot of them are undersized for, for FBS football, they, they will beat the crap out of a defense with that triple O. Uh, they will make you earn it. And, um, you know, this is going to be, this, it, thank goodness for the bye week before, to get the defense healthy. But as Trey talked to us a couple years ago, he said, you know, we really could use the bye week after. Right. Yeah. And, and the truth is uh, it's always hard to, to scout Navy because you really never know what you're going to get. I remember when Scott Frost was there, he was in the practice, you know, being, he was being, running option quarterback in the practice. Remember that? Video? Exactly. Cause I, I mean, he lived it. You know, that was his thing at Nebraska. He, he was able to show how it was done. And if you look at UCF historically against Navy, it's never been overly impressive. Uh, now, granted, one, one year they just kind of kept everything close to the vest and just kind of went through the motions. But, I mean, none of these games were ever really impressive. And, and you're going to have a trial by fire now. Granted, this is a, a Navy team that has next to no offense right now. And it, I, I have this, this unfortunate like feeling in the back of my head that they're going to like come alive. And just have- they're due for a game. They're not gonna. They're not gonna not score the rest of the year. They're due to somebody. And, and- uh, they have less than what two hundred yards of off. Well, uh, they had less than two hundred off- yards of offense in the last the first. You never see Navy with that few yardage offense. Oh, they, I mean, you, you know, that's 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 like that's that's like once in a blue moon, man. Oh, it's it's weird. I'm granted this college season is is just shaping up to be a weird year. I don't know if it's gonna be 2007 weird, but it's it's climbing up there in the echelon of weirdness uh 
from from almost as weird as 2020 but anyway go ahead well i mean well yeah i mean 2020 is just a cluster of all sorts of problems <laughs> but i i i have to give uh i have to to give the the coaching staff some credit now there was a lot of question about play calling and game planning uh you know the, the it looked like ucf was out coached friday but there, there seems to be a very positive vibe going into the next week despite all these injuries. And, and that's, that's really where, where the coaches have has to really shine is, is picking yourself up from the loss, especially mm-hmm. a really close 50, 50 loss. Like that was I mean, UCF during their, their 25 game winning streak had a number of 50, 50 games that, that just went their way that could have gone the other, the luck ran out in 2019, 2020. And of course, uh, you know, in the, the Fiesta Friday night. 2018 and, and Friday night, yeah. Uh, that you know that's where you know being lucky over being good you know uh i don't think the play call at the end of the game was wrong whatsoever it just didn't quite go right that's, didn't work out that's it didn't just, work out you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. that's football that's football that's that's football. This, that that right there okay i've never i've never bet on sports in my entire life that right there is why i don't yeah and the thing is i know i know too much and i've seen way too much crazy stuff happen like I don't that bet on college. Enough. I, I know. <laughs> I, I used to help my dad with some pros, you know, years ago, but I don't bet on college. Uh, it's too chaotic. Uh, I did it once. I actually, uh, a friend of mine helped me out. She could, she could make a career out of this. She just has that knack. Uh, but, but not me. Uh, that's not really my thing. All but right. you know, in that situation, either you're the goat, all capital letters, or you're the goat, all lowercase letters. And it's one way or the other. It's 50, 50. And unfortunately they got in the lower side. So now it's all about picking up the pieces uh, putting it back into place and restoring confidence. Uh, I, I like some of the posts that we've seen from, from current players about, you know, po- positivity. Uh, Kalia Davis's uh, newsletter had a good piece to, to mm-hmm. open up his, his uh, uh, I, talks about. I love stuff. his newsletter, by the way. It's like really it good. He's I mean, re- he's, uh, yeah, I, I, it's just, I wish, I, I wish more players did that. He, he's a great writer. He is. Uh, you should get him for a guest spot. <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I think I think you're right. It's, it's like now, now's the time when you rally, right? You rally as a team. You rally as a coaching staff. You rally as a player unit. You rally as a team. You rally as a fan base. And there's still a lot to play for in this there's, season. There a lot so to play lot. for, but the margin for error is thin. People need to understand that. Yep. The margin That's of error but- didn't change. The margin error hasn't changed. It's Bro, it's still... changed. When you go from Dylan Gabriel no, to a no, freshman, no, no, that's no, no, that no. that lowers your margin. That's that doesn't change the margin. It's, it's win or loss. Uh, you know, either you win or you lose. Uh, well, that yeah, yeah. Well, if you're gonna go the obvious win loss deal, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you gotta go. But win that's all you can with, control. With that's, confidence. That's, that's it. And yeah. Well, I, well, I guarantee you guys, we're not losing to buy. Oh, oh, buy never loses. <laughs> I'm, gar- I'm guaranteed it. But buy never loses. Well, <clears throat> we're gonna. Uh, it's. You know, hey, we're going to get updates on the injuries. By the way, um, any update on Isaiah? He's day-to-day, I think. Is that right, Drew? He's day-to-day uh, at, at this point. It sounds like, um, you know, based on two weeks, that that he should be okay. Um, mm-hmm. the only he one did that, take a shot on that guy. He with did the, take a shot. He was in a knee brace. Hit him right on the knee. He's hobbling around, but he's, he's he wasn't on crutches or mm-hmm. anything like that. So that's a good sign. He probably it probably took like a really bad 
Well, I, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to diagnose it. Good, yeah, a good. By the way, Matt hurts he got them. Whacked. People don't realize that hurts him from a pass protecting run block. You know, same yeah, point. There's a lot of experience. Yeah, back. Uh-huh. yeah that, that one hurts. That, it that one changed that, Louisville's that changed defensive the, mind. Uh, it they it changed started, the whole complexion of the game. You know, I thought uh, they started playing in, in the, the dreaded three, three, five, basically daring, you know, daring them to run the ball. And towards the end of the game is when it really started becoming effective. When, when Johnny mm-hmm. Richardson just started finding the holes in the defense. Yeah. When he snapped off that drive, uh, that time he game. tripped himself twice because he, he runs too fast. <laughs> he ran, outran too fast for twice. himself, <laughs> too fast for himself. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, like I said, like you guys said, the bye week couldn't come at a better time. Everybody um, relax, everybody fans relax, media relax, parents, you parents, because you're just as guilty because you go after coaches. You relax, everybody relax. <laughs> Take yeah, a breather, I, guys. The, the sun okay. came up. You know, the, the sun's still up. The season's still going. It's not lost. It's not over. Uh, there's still a lot to play for. And, you know, I know everyone's caught up in, in, in Big 12 hysteria still, but hey, there's an American title still up for grabs. Hey, get used to it. These listen, are, these, this is listen, how Big 12 They're not going to revoke the Big 12 invitation, which we've already accepted. And, oh, by the way, if they do because of a loss to Louisville, we don't want to be in that league anyway. I don't yeah, think we have to worry about that. They have, they have Kansas in the league. I don't think they're revoking anybody. I, you know, if, you, if, if that's what they're using to judge, to judge our worth for the Big 12 Conference, you don't want to be in the Big 12 No, conference. you got to do something way worse. I mean, way worse to get a membership no. revoked. Thank you. All right. Hey, Big 10 still has Rutgers. Yeah, I know. And Maryland. Uh, and Maryland. When we come, uh, when we come back, uh, volleyball, starting their conference season, we talked with Anne-Marie Watson, senior from Haggerty High School, uh, senior from UCF, who graduated from Haggerty High School, about uh, her path to UCF. And Bryson Turner joins us to talk about all the other UCF sports. Drew, we can find you at Statboy Drew on Twitter. Is that right? That is. All right. Thanks again. If I haven't been blocked yet by you. (laughs) Or if you haven't blocked them. I think. I don't block people. You don't block people? No. I don't believe in it. Uh, um, I I say what I say. I own it. And I will deal with it. But no, I, I don't block people. I don't. I don't block other people either. But I, I have other means. Anyway, uh, uh, yes. Thank you. Thank you again for your uh, for everything that you've been doing. Step Boy Drew on Twitter. Eric and I will be back in just a moment. This has been. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Back after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to the show, Jeff and Eric here on uh, recording this, obviously, Wednesday, September 22nd. And uh, all right, let's talk a little UCF volleyball because they have this past weekend had a very good weekend. They won all three matches at the Sunshine Challenge Cup, beating Miami in five. They beat Florida Gulf Coast in three. They beat Florida Atlantic in three down in Boca. And Eric, they're heating up after that after that rough start against an admittedly really good schedule. Uh, where they went one and two, or where they went one and two, one and two. Now they've gone two and one, three and zero, oh. and they're right now seven and five. And more importantly, like we talked about earlier in the season, their RPI. Did you see that come out? Uh, go ahead. Fifteenth. 
There you go. Seven and five in their 15th. And, uh, and part of that has been Anne-Marie Watson. We all know how great McKenna Melville is, but Anne-Marie Watson, you know, to me, she's the, she's the catalyst. She's the straw that really kind of stirs the drink for UCF. Don't you think? No doubt about it. And she's been the veteran. She helps part of the defense. And of course she set the record this past weekend during that tournament. She broke the all-time school record for most blocks assist in a career breaking the record of the legendary Tyra Harper who's a UCF Hall of Famer and Art Ring of Honor uh, as well as arguably the GOAT of UCF volleyball but that's not what Anne-Marie Watson is playing that's only part of the story for Watson you see Watson's a local kid in her last go-around try to be part of some history for UCF volleyball we here at Black and Gold Benaret had a chance to catch up with Anne-Marie Watson exclusively to ask her about the reaction to breaking that record. Plus, what are the cha- the keys for UCF to go for Pete in the American Conference and as well as how she ended up at UCF? Here now, Anne-Marie Watts on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Joining us now here on the Black and Gold Banneret, she is a three-time all-conference performer, three-time conference champion, three-time NCAA tournament appearance, and now, of course, the all-time leader at UCF in blocks assist just broke the record over the weekend. Uh, I speak of Anne-Marie Watson joining us. Uh, that's a that's a lot of in your resume there. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> Let, let's kind of start with the record. That's a pretty significant record you broke there down in Miami, breaking the old record held by Tyra Harper, who's a UCF Hall of Famer, the arguably the greatest player in program history with all her accomplishments at UCF and even beyond UCF. I know you probably didn't know about the record, but just give me your thoughts here after the match, because you probably were told about it at some point. So I was curious what your reaction was when you found out. It it was funny. Actually, uh, Claudia Dillon's dad was like, (laughs) you know, it was like we were all at the end of it. All the parents were there. And he, I kind of heard him say like, congrats, but it was that sort of thing. You can't really hear what he's saying. Congrats. So I was like, Oh, like, thank you. Thanks. I wasn't really sure. I thought it was more about like, congrats on the game. And then my parents come walking down and my mom and my dad are like, congrats. Like we're so proud of you and everything. And I was just like, wait, what? And then that's when they ended up telling me about how it was posted and all that stuff. And I was like, Oh, Oh my gosh. I, I didn't even know that that was even in the same ballpark of, you know, what I was going to be doing this season. So uh, it was a real shock just because obviously I'm not one to really be paying attention to that kind of stuff. Um, So, but obviously it's great to be able to celebrate that with my team and that weekend. And it was just a great weekend for us as a team overall. So it was just awesome. Your second all time in total blocks behind Harper. I mean, you're, I mean, just talk about those the, the blocking, and and I mean that's what you're known for. That's what you're kind of in a lot of ways your profile is. Uh, it's you know it's so remarkable what you've accomplished. I mean you're I mean you're going to be kind of in line there with the Harpers. You're the two greatest blockers uh, in the history of the program when it comes to blocks, total blocks, blocks assists, you name it. Just describe that what that stat means because it's beyond the stat. It's more than that. What it means to a team. She first of all, Harper. She's an amazing athlete. I walk into practice every day, and I kind of see her name up there yeah. on that wall, and it's just—it's really surreal to see that I'm kind of up there with her. But also, just kind of knowing I wouldn't be at this blocking level without my 
teammates pushing me without the coaching that I've had to be able to develop me over these last, you know, five years. It's, I've been very lucky to have the support system that I do and to have the team that I do to just push me to get to that point. Um, and I, I do kind of pride myself more on the blocking than anything. Um, at the end of the day, if I don't, if I feel like I'm not doing good with blocking, I'm like, oh, great. Okay. I just got to focus on that. Um, but <laughs> But no, I'm very lucky to be able to have the coaching staff that I have to develop me to get to that point and just the teammates, you know, to be able to push me to keep being better. You know, they push me every day in practice and we all push each other. So it's, we're very lucky to have that. Of course, you break the record up in Boca Raton as part of the uh, Sunshine Challenge. You go, the team goes three, and know, oh, that has to help uh, be make even sweeter that, you know, you had a great weekend as a whole as a team. And, and obviously the record there kind of set the tone that weekend. Yeah, we, we were really happy to be able to finish up the preseason like that, to be able to go into conference, you know, with that weekend sweep and all that. So I think it was it was good, you know, gain of momentum to go into conference play, you know, this weekend and everything. How do you all feel? This has been a unique deal because you obviously had to play in the spring uh, and now you come back at a quick turnaround. What what has it been like from a team standpoint? Because it's unusual. You have two seasons basically within one. Is there any... Has there been any effects of that? Have you noticed any differences that it would be, or has it been a benefit? Um, I think in the beginning, I don't think we realized how much it did affect us. I think we were just kind of powering through because we're like, oh, it's just volleyball. We're going to keep playing the game that we love. You know, we weren't thinking twice about it. And then uh, these last couple of days, we've been lucky enough to have a couple of days off from just, you know, volleyball in general, give our bodies a rest. Uh, But I think in hindsight, we do realize how – much you know wear and tear it is on our bodies to have a quick turnover for seasons and uh you know usually you kind of start to feel you know a little bit of a drag in October to really push through and we're kind of starting to feel that now but it's the sort of thing where it's like we're just pushing through and you know we're going to get through it together and it's just you know we're going to go out there and play volleyball and I can really think about that we're just going to take care of our bodies you know on and off the court uh, you know with ourselves and with our team and then we're just going to keep pushing through and playing volleyball. What have you learned as a team through the pre-conference coach, Dajanay, you know, as he usually does with you, schedule's tough, uh, really tough schedule. You got played Penn State, you played South Carolina on the road, you played obviously Florida uh, State, uh, you played Georgia, uh, some dramatic matches. Just what have you, as a team, what have you learned as you get into conference? Oh, probably... Uh... You know, this preseason, we knew they were going to be tough teams, but we all knew that these were teams that we could beat and that we could win and that we could keep up with. Um, and we did beat some of those teams, and we were very happy with that. And even the teams that we, they were, you know, close games, but, you know, it didn't go our way. We weren't, you know, upset with how we played. We were proud of how we played, I think. And now we just go into season knowing the level that we can play at and the level that we have, the standard kind of that we have for our whole team, we know that that's what we want to play at during conference and throughout the rest of the season. We don't really want to focus on the other side of the net and play down to their level. We know the level that we want to play at, and that's how we're going to play for going into conference. Figure the defending three-time conference champions, you begin conference play, so you're going to have a target on your back. Uh, is that something as one of the leaders you bring up to some of the players? I mean, you're a pretty veteran team, so you're accustomed to this. But still, I mean, you're going to be a target. What's kind of the 
the mindset going into conference play? Is it kind of like, hey, let's be on ready to go on top of your game because we're going to get everybody's best shot? Uh, we we don't really talk about the number actually about you know how many we just you know go into practice every day and we're just we're going to work our hardest every day in practice to be able to get to that goal that we want and that goal is to win conference you know we don't really think of you know how many times in a row or anything like that you know that's all beside the fact we just go in and work on this season this day this game and that's it let's talk about you and your journey uh you're a local kid first of all how'd you get into playing volleyball was that something you always wanted to do or it just kind of happened um I started off playing softball uh I played softball for almost 10 years I want to say um I always wanted to actually go to college and play softball in college and then once I got around high school during the off season of softball there was volleyball first in the fall and you know, a couple of my friends and everything, they were just like, you should pl- try playing volleyball for high school and all that good stuff. And I was like, okay, like I'll do that instead of doing slow pitch softball. Uh, so I did that and I was just kind of hoping to make a team. And then uh, I uh, got on varsity and the coach there was Adam Levi at the time. And he really developed me and I started off as a middle and then he introduced me to, you know, club and all that. And the rest was kind of history. I made the decision to stick with volleyball over softball. And uh, I went through the recruiting process and got here to UCF. And I never thought I would want to stay even in state. I always was just like, oh, I'm going to go out of state and everything like that. And then uh, once the end of like kind of like high school kind of started and I was in UCF came into the picture, I was just like, you know, I, I want to stay close to home. I want to be able to be close to my family. I want my family to be able to come see me at every home game. And I would like to be able to stay in my hometown. I think it would be really, it would be really nice to be able to do that. And I was able to get a sense of independence being at UCF, but out of the house, but I still had my family with me because I'm really close with my family. I don't, it's so, it would be so weird to think of my dad not being at the very top of (laughs) (laughs) the the stands and everything like that. So, um, it was first softball, then it came to volleyball, and I'm really happy that I made that decision with uh, with volleyball. I never knew about the softball aspect yeah. of it. I'm blown away by that. As somebody yeah. who does softball on the side, I'm, what position did you play? Um, so I was first base mostly, and then once I kind of got into college showcases, I was center field. Wow. When I was younger, I kind of did everything, but um, once I got – older to about 12, 13, the year actually our like summer league for Babe Ruth, we won the world series. Um, I was first base there. So I was first base for that season. And then going into, you know, college showcases, another travel, I went to center field. What kind of player were you as a softball player, a slap hitter? What were you power? What were you type of player? Would you be describe yourself? I honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I was middle of the pack. Um, I <laughs> my hitting was not, was not, you know, I wasn't a cleanup hitter or anything like that. Um, I felt more confident hit, you know, hitting the ball in a volleyball court than a softball diamond is this what yeah, it sounds like. I also, okay. I also kind of blame that on my, my growth spurt too. And that's what me and my dad still kind of talk about that, you know, when we got to, you know, a real important age of softball, I grew like six inches. And so I could never get, you know, my hitting zone right or anything. So I was just like, I don't, I don't know anymore. Uh, so, but yeah. Well, you mentioned why you picked UCF, but how did you end up at UCF as far as, you know, when you met the staff, 
uh, you know, were, were you a walk on or were you kind of recruit? How is that process as far as getting to UCF? Yeah. So uh, actually, I was recruited by uh, Mike G and Michelle Chapman. Um, and uh, that was like my sophomore year, my sophomore year for club season. And then um, I went to a summer camp and it was like a one day camp because that's all like my parents could really do at the time, which is the one day camp. And so my mom's like, you're just going to do this. I'm sorry. I'm like, it's fine. Like just to go and everything. Um, and then that's when Todd actually saw me um, when I was swinging and everything. And then at the end of that uh, camp, since obviously we couldn't like, he couldn't contact me because I wasn't of age yet. Like my club coach, uh, Felix Vera was just like, Hey, like, you have his number like I think you should call him like after everything and I was just like you think so he was like yeah and I was like when he was like right now like as soon as I hang up the phone I was like okay uh, and so I called him and that's where I kind of took off and I ended up committing my junior year in like October um but yeah so I was actually recruited by some other people but uh, Mike and Michelle they're great I still came in touch with Mike and I talked to Michelle you know, last summer or something like that during COVID. But now we have Jenny and Brian who are just absolutely amazing too. Um, I'm very lucky to be able to have them as coaches as well. I remember when we've talked in the past, you told me you came to UCF volleyball matches even before you were at UCF. Is that accurate, right? Like you, yeah. you would come to the Do you remember the first time you came to a UCF volleyball match or uh, even a deal or even a, maybe a UCF sporting event, like a football game, stuff like that? I remember, so actually when I was younger, I used to go to the softball camps at UCF oh. um, when I was little. Yeah. And then when I was in high school and um, I started playing volleyball and UCF was in the picture of like, oh, you know, I kind of might be interested in them and it'd be really cool. I started going to their games and it was when uh, they had like Abby Fleener, Jayla, Kia, all of them. Uh, so I watched them as well. Uh, but yeah, I want to say... Yeah, so I want to say probably my first like UCF sporting thing was probably softball camps when I was little. And then when I was in high school, I started going to the volleyball games and all that. And I just kind of kept falling in love. And uh, yeah. So once you get to UCF, tell me what it was like to be part of the team as a freshman and then moving forward, because obviously you'll be part of this tremendous success you've currently had. But you got there. Just take me what it was like to be there and be the youngster as opposed to now where you're the vet. Yeah, um, I think it's uh, me and Christina Fisher came in at the same time. And I think we're really lucky that we had such an amazing group of upperclassmen surrounding us to kind of show us the ropes. I mean, we had uh, Taylor Wiki, Kia, we had uh, Jordan Pingle uh, and Miranda. We had some amazing mentors that were able just to show us, you know, college, how volleyball works, how we work, how it goes. And I really kind of took everything a little bit from each of them to really kind of show or bring that into how I am with the younger girls now and helping them, you know, show them the ropes and how it kind of goes. Did you have a player that took you under her wing that helped you kind of when you first got there and uh, things like that? Uh, actually when, uh, we, it was during a preseason, uh, tournament and it was when one of the hurricanes, uh, hit Florida, we were stuck in Arkansas for a while. And my roommate was Kia. And uh, I remember for a couple of nights when we were stuck in there, we had some really long talks and we, and she became, you know, 
that quiet mentor to me. And I was really lucky that she was able to like, just talk to me and share some of her experiences and her wisdom with me. Uh, so having her that first season was awesome. And then obviously Taylor Wookie was just an amazing person to have in the middle, right next to me being like this little freshman right side, you know, kind of, you know, nervous, but still having her with me to keep me up and to keep me moving as well. You've talked in the past about the pride you have as uh, with the the success at home at the venue and making that a home court advantage, being a local person. Talk, expand on that from the pride standpoint, having uh, playing at the venues turned into a great atmosphere for volleyball. It's been a tremendous home court for the program. You've been a big part of building that with the success and everything. What, what does that mean, though, as a local person? I, I imagine there's a special pride for that. Yeah, like as always, you know, having all the fans there in the venue is absolutely amazing. We're so lucky to have the fan base that we do. Uh, and I think just for me being right down the road, it just it makes me feel very lucky to be able to play for my hometown team just for a couple more years. You know, it's awesome to be there and kind of represent Oviedo and Orlando as a whole and just to see the fan base that's you know behind us. Has Coach Dagenet influenced you uh, as a player and as a person here moving forward? Because obviously, uh, you've known a while. You've known him for a while. He's obviously coached you. What, what has it been like playing for him and, and the impact he's had on you? You know, it's just I've been really lucky to have him as a coach, along with the other coaches as well. I think all three of them have really impacted me, not only as an athlete but as a person in general. You know, uh, Todd is somebody that. He cares a lot about academics. He cares a lot about how we play, but at the same time, he cares so deeply for us uh, just off the court and with our mental health and how we're doing. Um, and that kind of really means a lot to us. And it means a lot to me to know that, yes, he cares about us like as athletes and how we're performing, but at the same time, him and the other coaches like Jenny and Brian, they also want to check in on, on us. They want to make sure you know, how we're doing, you know, especially for me, they kind of know I haven't had the greatest summer with uh, some things, but all three of them have really checked in on me and they've made sure that I'm all good. They've made sure, you know, they always ask how school's going. They also know that I'm starting grad school, which is completely different than undergrad. Uh, And so they are checking out on me with that. So just the fact that, you know, him and the rest of the staff care about us more than just athletes, they care about us as people and how we're doing. It's, it's been awesome to have that throughout these last five years of college. As you get into conference here, as we mentioned, and then obviously I know you're as a team, you have big aspirations uh, from a postseason standpoint. You've been to the NCAAs three times. You got to the round of 32 in 2019. But I know as a team, you're not satisfied with just that. Just talk to me. How do you feel about your team as far as the accomplishments, uh, the goals you have internally, where you're at right now? Are you, do you feel like you're at where you need to be? Are you close to where you need to be as a team? Are you, you know, do you feel that you're starting to peak at the right time? Kind of take me where the team temperature is right now. Definitely. Um, we know that we have, you know, a lot of potential. We know that there's so much talent within our team. You know, we're very deep with that. We, we know that we have, you know, ways to go, but we are getting there and we, we see it every day in practice of, you know, how much we're changing and how we're just even growing and bettering ourselves that 1% is helping us every day. Even, you know, off the court things, you know, taking care of ourselves through treatment, making sure our bodies are rested, our minds are rested, you know, just seeing us improve that little bit makes a huge change for us. 
So we obviously we're always improving. We're always getting better every single day. Uh, and we're not where we want to be, but we know that we can see it coming very soon. Last thing for you is years from now, you're probably going to get honored. You're probably going to be in a ring of honor there at volleyball court with all the accomplishments you have. You're rightfully so. I mean, you've <laughs> resume your speaks for itself. But when people bring you up five years from now, six years from now, uh, as maybe future nights are trying to chase your records down and your name gets brought up. What do you want people to say about you? Oh, that's kind of surreal to think about. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think I would just want people to say that I was, you know, the kind of teammate that people could go to that, you know, had a very, you know, calm sense on the court and calm composure off the court as well. And that I was the kind of person that, you know, other teammates could go to whenever they just needed to talk or, you know, they needed advice or anything like that. Kind of like little mama bear. Uh, so I, I hope that, you know, that's the impression that I'm able to leave in years to come. Well, you've left a great impression to this point, and you still got a lot of volleyball left in you, which is the, the exciting thing about it uh, as you begin conference play. Congrats on the record. Congrats on all the accomplishments you've had to this point. We wish you for more accomplishments uh, and success here moving forward. But uh, in the meantime, thanks for joining us. And, uh, again, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure to be watching you play and continue to watch you play. And uh, good luck the rest of the way. Thank you so much. It was so nice talking to you. And thanks again to Anne-Marie Watson for joining us. You can, by the way, check out the full interview. Believe it or not, there's more uh, of our, my conversation with Anne-Marie Watson on our YouTube page on the Black and Go Banneret, plus on our uh, blackandgobanneret.com. You'll check out our feature on Anne-Marie Watson where we talk in depth about her time at Haggerty, going to the UCF, as well as what is her future plans after volleyball and what does her her and McKenna Melville have in common that they're going to do in the future? All of that coming up. Uh, check that out on our blackandgoldbanneret.com as well as on our YouTube page. You know, Anne-Marie is one of my favorite UCF athletes in any sport of all time because of the story behind her. And Bryson Turner is now in here to join us uh, to, to talk about yeah, it. Because, uh, and Bryson, you've had the... Uh, You've had the good pleasure of following Emery uh, through your time and seeing how she how well she's played this year. And I, I just pulled up her stats. You know, in this last match against Florida Atlantic, she was she hit seven seventy eight, um, seven kills on on nine attempts, one dig, uh, four, uh, four total blocks. Um, she, I, I just I, I just love the story. I just love the story that she was this walk on who showed up. And I can remember I was doing PA her first year and like, Oh, the girl from Haggerty. Right. Well, she, you know, I didn't realize she was a walk on because she played so well from right off the start. And here she is now an integral part, you know, as a, as a fifth year player of this team, that's 15th in the RPI, even though the conference, even though the record's seven and five, they set themselves up for a really good conference season right now, haven't they, Bryson? Oh, yes, for sure. And, uh, and uh, for those who don't know, Hagger, um, Jeff mentions Anne-Marie Watson's high school, Haggerty High School, of which I'm a proud alumnus as well, uh, is actually a, a very a short, short five-minute drive down Lockwood Boulevard just north of... Just a Utah. little bit more than yeah. a mile. Yes, and yes, indeed. And uh, she actually played at Haggerty under former UCF volleyball assistant coach Juanita Hitt, 
who was here at UCF from 2002 to 2007. So um, I got a chance to actually catch up with Juanita Hit, which you'll be able to see in our feature with Anne-Marie Watson com coming to the website soon. And we were, and, and she mentioned how Watson is, was one of the top 10 players that she's had in the program. And she told me this really amazing story about how in high school, Amory Watson was playing a game against Lake Mary and she managed to block a ball so hard that she hit somebody in the head and gave her a concussion. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I don't mean to be laughing at someone else's misfortune, but none of that surprises me. None of that surprises me about Amory. Eric, I want to talk about um, UCF's point, the point that UCF is in right now. Todd was right, right? Tough schedule to start out against, you know, some really good non-conference, twice against South Carolina. Granted, they lost, but they won one set in there. Uh, the tough loss to Georgia Tech, I really wish they, I really think they wish they had that one back. Penn State, the win to St. John's, um, you know, the, the win against Florida State, I think they really wish they had the Georgia match back too. I think that was more, but still, RPI 15, man, they are in a good spot heading into the conference season. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I want you to break down where the, the American teams are as far as the RPI, because I think yeah, that's going to be a very key factor there. And heck, you know, just for fun now, so we get used to it, we can compare it to the Big 12 teams too. But anyway, uh, let's first talk about McKenna Melville. Uh, Bryson mentioned this on Nightcap, which you can read week every week on blackandgobanneret.com, where we recap all the Olympic sports. McKenna Melville right now is number one in the country in points. Number six in kills per set. She might be having her best season yet. Uh, that's all American type year. And I mean, like first, second team, arguably uh, for her. So she's playing at a high level. But I think the big thing is some of the other players are coming around. And, you know, and Watson even mentioned in the interviews you heard, there was a little bit of a hangover there a little bit. You know, you've just played a spring season that was intense. You come back. Sometimes you're kind of trying to get back in the flow of things and you don't know whether you're going too much or too not. So I think they're peaking at the right time. I think they understand what they need to do in the conference. They're not right where they need to be, according to Anne-Marie, but they're close. By the way, Anne-Marie Watson, from a resume standpoint, I mentioned about her. I think you would agree, Jeff. Will be in the Ring of Honor one day, probably in the UCF Hall of Fame one honor. You realize she has a chance to be a four-time all-conference performer at the end of this year. The only players in the history of UCF to do that. McKenna Melville also could join that list. Yeah. The only ones that have ever done that, Tyra Harper in the Ace Sun, the GOAT, arguably, mm -hmm. and then Emily Kaiser, who did it, was a second team all Ace Sun performer, 92 to 94, and then 95 first teamer. Uh, so that was it. But her and Harper, those are the only four time all conference performers. There's been a bunch of three time first uh, uh, performers. Kia Bright, for example, is a three time first teamer. Delena Sarden, a three time first team eight all um, American. First teamer, Jayla Harvey. Piper Morgan was three time in the A Sun. Mitchakova, three time. But nobody's ever been a four time all conference, either first team or second team. Uh, Watson has a chance to join that list that I mentioned. That's a pretty darn good list there. Probably maybe underrated uh, is when we talk about. It. I mean, I got to think she's got to be in the conversation to be top 10 all time UCF volleyball player easily, right? Yeah, I, I definitely say so. By the way, RPI. Uh, it's, it's unofficial. And this is from figstats.com. I knew Jeff had his sources where official, he got his volleyball RPI. The first official, well, I, I got it from the UCF volleyball Twitter account, UCF underscore volleyball. But, um, these guys are really accurate. And, um, and Todd actually, you know, he would, when we would talk about RPI, he would, he would say, oh, 
So, because uh, he trusts them the most. So, they're, so right now UCF is 15th. Uh, to give you a, a perspective, Georgia Tech, who they lost to, fourth. All right. Uh, South Carolina, who they lost to, ninth. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's a few others in here. Uh, Penn State, 20th. Uh, some other teams are Miami's 26th. So uh, they're, they're in a pretty good position. And if I'm looking at the rest of the American, and I'm going to just search it right here. Uh, after UCF, you've got, let's see, uh, not a whole lot. <laughs> Wichita State is 44th. Mm. Okay. Uh, let me go back up for just a second. Yeah, Wichita State's 44th. Uh, is there a, is there another one up there? No. Okay. Wichita is 44th. SMU 65th. Houston 71st. Tulsa 115. Cincinnati 132. South Florida 152, and so on and so forth. So, so well, and that's kind of a rough start. For well, the American yeah. Because, but it's only because the cop, the non conference schedules are 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 what they are, right? You see, it played an extraordinarily difficult. Correct. But this schedule. is this is the benefit for the program from a volleyball standpoint. Why they go to the Big Twelve? Because if you you can compare what the Big Twelve schools are doing, uh, not Texas and Oklahoma, there's going to be a drastic difference. There's roar, so there's no room for error in the American. So unfortunately, what's going to happen here, even if UCF keeps winning and wins a lot. Odds are that RPI will drop a little bit because of some of the opponents. I mean, the league, that tells me the league at best is a two-bid league. Once again, maybe a one-bid league. Uh, maybe, you know, if UCF doesn't win the league or or somebody gets hot. Whereas the Big 12, I think there's way more room down the road. So that's the benefit if you're Todd. And this is the smart thing about Todd. I don't know if people realize this. He probably doesn't realize this because if you probably ask him this, he'll probably, didn't, you know, He's like, yeah, that's just coincidental. By playing this type of a non-conference schedule, Jeff, that's going to get them ready when they do move to Big 12 play. I yeah. really do believe they will. That's going to help them adjust to the Big 12 quicker than maybe some people think. I, Could we I, see non-conference opponents like this for the 2022 schedule? Because since the move to the Big 12 is going to happen in 2024 at the latest. I would imagine so. I mean, the, the schedule gets put together rather late, you know, because there's a lot of, you know, uh, agree. it's not like football. Right. So, but uh, here's another point that I want to make, by the way, you look at the, at fixed stats again, you know what UCF strength, the schedule is second in the country. Wow. 93 and 39 total opponent record. That's se- that's second best in the country behind only Baylor in the big Who's 12 fellow big 12 team. See? Yeah. All right. So, so by the way, you're looking for the other big 12. You were telling me about the big 12. Yeah. Texas is six, but let's keep them out. Uh, Baylor is eighth. Kansas is 18th. Texas Tech 21st. This is the total RPI. Yeah. West Virginia 40th. Uh, TCU 57th. Iowa State 63rd. So look at how many more teams. What a big difference. Top 75. And Kansas State is 79th. They're knocking on the door. And I haven't even mentioned Oklahoma. That's a big difference there. I mean, that's a that's a yeah. three to four bid league right there in the Big Twelve. And again, the difference there in room for mar- margin for error is significant. If UCF, you know, and it's it's apples and oranges, I get all that. But if let's say you put UCF in this year's resume into the Big Twelve right mm-hmm. now, they would have a legitimate shot to be a national seed, a national yeah. seed and host. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen currently, but that's the difference in Big Twelve. Now, obviously, they're going to have to win Big Twelve matches. 
But on the other hand, even if they lose Big 12 matches, they're not going to get as hurt as much as they probably will if they were to drop a match or two in the Americas. Exactly. That's the difference. And one more, BYU, one spot behind UCF, 16th. They are traditionally a national. I think volleyball is going to be fine in the Big 12 there. Now, the big thing that Todd right now is if he listens, which he doesn't, he has a life. We understand that. He's probably going to tell us that not this nonsense conversation off because they're focused on this weekend and the conference. But it is worth pointing this out. In the history of UCF volleyball, when it uh, they have won four straight conference championships, okay, from only uh, between 92 and 97. They won the conference tournaments in the A-Sun from 92 to 97. And by the way, the first two, yeah. it was not an automatic bid to the NCAA. There you go. So that is the only time they've won. Uh, ever since then, it, and if you just include regular seasons and everything, they've won three in a row, just like this current run has, but they've never won four in a row, except for that run that I mentioned from 92 to 97. That's a long time. By the way, not a coincidence. Who's involved in that run? Tyra Harper, Tyra Harper. Renata, and Renetta Menchikova. Do you get your sense here, Bryson? Renata, that, that Tyra Harper girl knows now Tyra Turner, by the way. Pretty darn good. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's good. I mean- now here's a now actually I was gonna ask you this earlier, but you mentioned how how Watson could be able to go and all com- to an, all, make a be a four time all conference player or someone a feat that only Tyra Harper Tyra Turner has accomplished, and she is now and she was elected back to the UCF Hall of Fame in 2004. I mean we're kind of close to the UCF Hall of Fame induct the uh, induction of this year, so could we be seeing Amory Watson up there a good amount of time from now? No well, doubt. yeah, yeah, I think seven no to doubt. ten years. I think her and McKenna are your two candidates from this current team. They're going to be uh, for sure. They're they're Lennon and McCartney, right? Ooh, you know, wow. wow, that's a Beatles yeah. reference for you, young audience that's, over there. Right? So there you go. They're going to be Lennon and McCartney going in. Going in. I I hope they go in together. To be honest, but, with you. They're but maybe Jeff, one year but, separate, but right. No, that's a good point of the one year, two year part. But the, Jeff, this is. I mean, there's a lot of history here at stake here. A chance to go a four peat. For the program, uh, history there. McKenna trying to be a you know national, you know an all American, going to be four time, chasing some records, chasing you know, the Mount, you know that Mount Rushmore, trying to get herself in that level with Tyra Harper among the greatest of all time, and Marie Watson trying to finish off her career with Forks. I mean, it's there's a lot of history on the line for this group here. Yeah, a lot. And, yeah, no pressure or anything. And but Jeff, you know what? Have, this group have... knows how to deal with pressure. This group knows how to deal. Yeah, veteran team help. Yeah, yeah, Jeff. I do have a question for you because I because UCF, of course, is coming off their last tournament before they start uh, they start conference play against East Car against East Carolina on Friday. But looking back at their tournament, I remember you mentioning in a previous podcast about how Florida Gulf Coast really punches above their weight in vo- in volleyball, and they play and we have our, the rem- a rematch against them this time so what did you see out out of out of, uh, out of volleyball going against fgcu a second time and going and going up against a team like miami as well uh i thought that ucf was not interested in fgcu's crap uh for lack of a better term i, I thought that they they were like you know what we that this this to me was like that, that it was big to sweep them the second time because remember a few years ago, they played him three times. The third time was in the tournament, um, and they and UCF lost on the home floor. They've now played him twice, beat him three one, and then three zero. And I and listen, do credit to FGCU. They are an extraordinarily well coached and talented veteran team. Okay, but 
I think UCF is kind of at a point where they're kind of playing a little, they're, 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 they're kind of playing checkers where everyone else is playing chess. I, I don't, I, I think it was a big win for them because UCF was not going to fall for any of their tricks this time around. And they took care of business. That was fun. That was, that was a big win for UCF. I, even bigger than Miami and, and, and Florida state. I think that was a big, they got them rolling. They got them rolling yeah. a little bit. That was now, like, I was like, Oh wow, this team's ready now. There's the question though. And you looked at you, you broke down the RPIs later. Who is your biggest concern threat in the American? I thought what jumped out at me in your RPI numbers was Wichita State. And the reason I bring up Wichita State, that was a program, Jeff. You remember this. When they came in to the American, they were a powerhouse in volleyball. Yep. We thought, and they First won the year league. they were in the program, they went undefeated in the conference. Right. And we thought this is a power, you know, because we talked about, wow, what a big benefit for men's basketball. But we said, hey, this is a big benefit for volleyball. They haven't been what we thought they would be in the last couple of years. Uh, for whatever the reason, but it sounds like they might be kind of coming back here. Are you, am I, are you sensing that here? What, what do you think? Who, yeah, give, I, me, I, give, give us an overall an, a, assumption of the rest of the league here. What, what, where UCF's going to be dealing with? To me, I think there's three teams to watch. There's uh, outside of UCF. There's Wichita, which is right now at six and three, even though they've lost two in a row in their most recent tournament. Like you said, there's st- they played a they played a pretty tough schedule too. Houston's off to a very good start, and regardless of what their uh, of what their uh, strength of schedule is, they're ten and two. You and go their coach the is really season, good, and they're well coached. And, and you go into you go into the conference season ten and two, you have a lot of confidence. I think that's you know regardless of who you play, okay. And you're also figuring some things out. And then the other team I think everyone's got to watch is Tulane. They're seven and five overall, uh, but I, I don't know. There's something about that team the way they're the way they're put together that gives me the heebie-jeebies sometimes um i especially like uh now lexi douglas is is the player for tulane who i'm i'm thinking of that is uh th- that is a real winner and uh, is supremely talented she's their best player i think right now the outside hitter she's a redshirt senior um she if if mckenna melville is the preseason favorite for aac player of the year to me Lexi Douglas is your number two pick. If you don't want to, if you don't like the odds on McKenna Melville, you pick Lexi Douglas. Lexi is the playing the McKenna role when McKenna was chasing Jordan Thompson. Right. She's the she's the she's the next one in line. So yeah. yep. I, I wouldn't mind seeing these two teams match up one more time and or they're gonna match up two more times and see those two go at it. It's gonna be fun. All right, we gotta take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about all the other sports. We've got soccer to talk about, Bryson. Big news in golf. We'll talk about that in a little bit. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. Welcome back. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Bryson Turner joining us here. We're going to wrap up all the other sports here for just a second. But uh, I want to start a couple. Hey, first of all, I think this deserves the lead here, Bryson. Men's golf, first place. They win the Hartford Hawks Invitational. This is the fourth straight year they've done this, right? Oh, yes. And it's not just that. They won it by 30 five strokes they have they fun, they finished the tournament at 35 under par second place Seton Hall even par absolutely and then the individually three UCF senior three UCF senior Johnny Trevally Clement Charmazon and Teddy Tetak uh, I uh, comp- swept the podium one two three awesome Just absolutely dominant dominant weekend for men's golf that was huge so it's uh, that so congrats their next tournament is uh, uh, just before the middle of October, the Carolina Constitutional October the 11th, 13th. By the way, if you're wondering about women's golf, 
Uh, they have a break before they play Bryan National Collegiate up in Greensboro by Wake Forest. That's starting this day, uh, September the 26th. Uh, all right. Let's talk real quick. Uh, cross-country day, the uh, regional rounds number 13 in the track and field uh, cross-country, Collegiate Cross-Country Association uh south region rankings and they've up they've been off to a good start too bryson there as well so that's i I think that's been a real key for them it's good to see your name up in the rankings yes indeed last last after breaking the breaking the 4k record and of course of course setting the 5k and 6k freshman records earlier valerie lastra is certainly somebody to keep an eye on with this team and really all the other freshmen too. Lillian Holstery had a really good performance in the first meet of the seat meet of the season. And most of this team is made up by freshmen. So I think that this, that I am going to be very intrigued to see what the cross country team is going to do because these freshmen are basically going to dominate the next four years in this program. All right. So Let's move forward with uh, taking a look now at soccer, Eric Lopez. Uh, I want to start with the men. Uh, they swept the weekly awards this week, and it was a good week indeed for UCF uh, men's soccer uh, as they, uh, they opened conference play with a four to one disposal of Memphis up in, uh, uh, up in the uh, Billy J. Murphy set. By the way, really beautiful stadium they have in Memphis. Did you see that? It's kind of nestled in like, downtown it's the it's one of the coolest soccer venues in the probably the coolest soccer venue in the american so um the 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 uh it, it feels like the uh their groove is back again because we had two goals from luca dorado he now has seven on the season uh anderson rosa and beto Idrock also got goals and ucf had 20 shots on goal to memphis's 11 um the offense is humming now isn't it eric yeah, they're starting to click, and I think that's, uh, you know, they're among the top offensive teams in the country again. <laughs> so they're surprise, picking right. But, yeah, but they've had to because they're still, you know, they're still lingering some things defensively, although they're trying to trying to figure that out uh, in conference. That's a big start to get them in, in with Memphis. Uh, very important. Couple of, uh, unofficially, uh, the RPI, because there's a site that does unofficial men's soccer RPI, because why not? We all do. Uh, you all want it. UCF 84 in the RPI, but that's a little misleading because they're three, what, three and three on the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so win-loss record has a lot to do with that. If you win matches, that goes up. Fascinating. You have the American, which is right now currently the number six RPI in men's soccer. Conference USA is number seven. We mm-hmm. bring that up because obviously that's a storyline debt for the future of where UCF men's soccer could end up. You look at the men's soccer rankings, though. This is why UCF's in good shape as far as controlling their fate, if you will. This is wild to me. You look at the men's soccer rankings. Tulsa, the undefeated, ranked eighth in the country. That's the team UCF had to beat to win the championship last year. And then their nemesis, SMU, ranked 13th in the country. They're, they're undefeated as well. Tulsa, by the way, number five RPI. And remember, in men's soccer, it's a home-and-home home schedule. So, yep. in other words, they will get Tulsa and SMU each twice, which is four games against top 15 teams. That's where you make your resume if you're UCF. You know, we saw Coach Calabrese really trying to figure out who he wanted to have in goal uh, and figure out like who would be the combination. But Tyler Levine 
has really come on. And, and, you know, obviously we talked, you know, we only gave up the one goal Memphis. Um, but I think that I, I looks to me like they, the guy. Well, that's huge. If that, that's been the biggest question throughout the non-conference, the goalkeeping situation, and just kind of settling the defense. You're right. Has that been sorted out at Papa, possibly? And that's big, because like I said, the offense is, is kind of humming. Luca Dorado's among the nation's leaders in goals scored. Uh, Nick Taylor in point and assist. I mean, they've got the offense is definitely clicking. And if you could just get back good goalkeeping and good defense, because... It's hand in hand. You know, we focus so much too much sometimes when, oh, well, the guy gave up a goal. But there's more to that. It's about that chemistry between the defensive backs and the fullbacks and the goalkeeping and having that chemistry. And I think if they're starting to figure that out and they look much better against Memphis in that, they're starting to play much better. They played a tough non-conference schedule. That's a good stretch here as they continue conference play because it's going to get tougher. One more note that you wanted to add, Bryson, about the national individual rankings, right? Yes, I, yes, we did. Uh, Luca Dorado is now in the national lead for goals per game with 1.4. He's no, also up there in total goals, too, I think, right? He's he, got seven. Yes, he is. He is, I believe he is second place to a player from Northern Illinois that has nine. Three. Uh, or he's, he's actually tied. Actually, the latest is he's tied for third. Oh, uh, wow. That, that Nick, was what that's last I checked it. Right. Nick Markanich of uh, Northern Illinois leads the country with nine goals. Theo Column of UNC Greensboro has eight. Let's talk about women's soccer, Eric and Bryson. Five-nothing win over Stetson. This was total domination. Total domination. 18 shots on goal to two. 18 shots total to two. Nine shots on goal to one. Uh, and just an all-around spectacular performance for UCF, who's now five and three on the season. Mallory Olson had two goals. Kristen Scott had two goals within an eight minute period. Um, status with the women, you know, they, they look like the mojo that they didn't have in the spring and they're looking real dangerous. They are. They got, you know, the Houston loss was disappointing. Houston attacked them very well, but that, you know, Houston up in Houston, tough road game. They bounced back, dominated Stetson. But here's the they big one. Like they were angry about that, Houston. They were angry, but <laughs> this is a big one here. This is the rivalry here. Memphis, UCF, women's soccer, always huge. No different this time around. You look at the American, by the way. Four teams in the top 38 RPI right now. Four. Uh, UCF's 21 in the RPI there. Uh, Memphis is 38. South Florida's 29. The surprise to this point, SMU. Number 12 in the RPI in women's soccer. Mm, so wow. this is a league that has a chance to be a four-bid league, which has never happened in the American. It's almost like they're motivated to say, no, we're better than the Big 12. Uh, and right now they might be. They actually are better than the Big 12, believe it or not, and ironically <laughs> enough. Go figure. But this is a big match because if UCF loses to Memphis, doesn't get a result, they drop to 0-2. You don't want to dig yourself a hole in the schedule, considering you have Memphis at home, you have South Florida at home. Uh, those are very important to get a result after the loss to Houston. Hey, you know, we, obviously we, you know, how they're not first opponent. I know there's a history that's, I, I think she really kind of, she's like, it's that's and should take care of them. And they do. don't forget, we got, like you said, in Dallas on the 30th. So it's be uh, this is a huge, actually a huge 
four game stretch them at home because Tulsa also is in on October 10th. So I, I'm feeling pretty good. I, you know what else I'm feeling pretty good about is Kristen Scott. I think she's really emerged as the, the, the main linchpin of the team, kind of holding it together from an offensive perspective. And looking at the individual stats, she's not, she's, she's got six goals in eight games, which leads the team. Mallory Olsen has four, two of them were in the last game, but the leap that Kristen's made, man, she is a weapon. Big, big time difference maker has been their big offensive player. She didn't score a goal in the spring when they played in the limited action that she had, but this is more of the Kristen Scott from 2019. And uh, she's been a big time leader for them. You know what you're going to get from Caroline Delisle at goalkeeping. It's just a matter of this has been a team that plays well with the lead. What's been fascinating is they've struggled when they've fallen behind early. Now, part of that is the schedule. They play at teams like LSU, et cetera, but get off to good starts. You know, they didn't get off to a good start in Houston and it cost them. And then I think they learned their lesson against Stetson. They got off to a fast start there. Mm-hmm. We'll see how they do, though. This schedule, uh, this league, this is going to be fascinating. Like I said, the league has never had more than three teams in the NCAA. Could this be the year they get three to four bids? That's in play the way the teams have performed to this point, to this level. No doubt say, about it. I'll say this. Uh, I, I, Kristen Scott and Mallory Olsen have really been dominant on the offense this season. I did the calculations. Uh, with their combined 10 goals this season, they make up almost 60% of, the, of all the team's goals this season. Yeah. yeah, that's huge. They And that was the one thing that UCF was really missing last year was offense. And they have found it in a big way. Speaking of, uh, or moving down the line real quick, we had some, Bryson, we had some baseball news that you want to talk about too. The uh, baseball team announced their new recruiting class. A lot of... I get used to seeing this in college baseball, right? I mean, it, with with how everything has changed with the uh, with the transfer portal, with uh, you know, I really think that that the changes in college athletics are are really rearing themselves or revealing themselves uh, most profoundly in baseball. Eighteen new players. Think about it. That's two full nines, right? And 14 players leaving, including the uh, MLB draftees. Yeah. So uh, we're not going to go over each and every single one here, although suffice it to say we do have some local guys. William Saxton, uh, who transfers over from FIU. Riley Wash, the new catcher, is from Altamont Springs. He transfers over from Pitt. Uh, uh, Dominic Castellano from Tampa. Uh, let's see. There's a couple other guys. Paul Russo from Tampa. Russo from Tampa. Brogan Napier's from St. Augustine. Got Julian Balzer from, uh, Rockledge. A, a, a real mix of guys also in terms of class. It's not all freshmen and seniors. There's some juniors, some sophomores mixed in. Uh, Chase Centella, a sophomore, uh, pitcher who transfers in from Florida, joins the club. So, who are give us the real cliff notes on this group of 18 guys that Greg Lovelady's brought in? Well, I think the big thing is, is that is that he brought in a lot of pitchers. If you look that he, he, if you look at this, he's brought two catchers, two outfielders, three infielders, five right-handed pitchers and six left-handed pitchers. That's 11 pitchers. And, and it makes sense why he would, why he would do that. He lost, he lost pretty much most, pretty much all of the starting rotation except for Hunter Pattison, uh, and then we also lost several, lost a few relievers, mo- uh, key of which being Billy McKay. 
Uh, so now he really has to rebuild that bullpen. We st- he still has anchor pieces, which is great, in Hunter Patterson, David Litchfield, Zach Bennett, and Nick Vieira. But now he has to be able to really build, build them up again. And hopefully, in the case of the starting rotation, be able to, uh, to be more consistent than they were, la- than they were last season. Uh, as of right now, looking at the guys here, um, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my eye on, uh, on, Cameron, on Cameron Crane, who is a mm-hmm. left-handed pitcher from Johnson County Community College. Uh, he, he's had some starts there in the past. And then I also am keeping my an eye on Ruddy Gomez, who is a who is a right-handed pitcher from Hillsborough Community College. So these two JUCO guys look like they could be in the running for a starting pitcher. Uh, ben Vespi and Zach Hunsaker are some a, a more existing options that could be in could be in line for some start from for some starting work. And then also I f- I found that Chase Sentless, Saxton, Connor Stain, a transfer from Maryland. And uh, Kyle Kramer, a transfer from Rollins College, all have done relief re- relief appearances for their pre for their previous schools. So look for them to be to poss- to possibly make an impact in the bullpen as well if they perform well in fall ball. Beyond that, uh, Riley Wash is certainly somebody to watch in the catcher position as well as Andrew Sundin, which with both uh, Josh Crouch being drafted in the MLB and Matt Menendez leaving via the transfer portal. And the only other catch, the only other, you know, listed catcher on the roster is Ben McCabe, but we could see him play first base or DH. So depth. So I would, so I really keep an eye on these two new guys at the catcher position. Cause I think we could definitely see a bunch of them this season. All right. All right. Good, good recap on that too. So, all right, as we finish up guys, we've got, uh, well, we got a lot to a lot to digest off of this week. Goodbye week for football. I think they needed it just in time, and that gives us a chance. A lot of people of, need it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're not kidding. Everybody needs like a mental health break right now after that. Good lord. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah. We need a. <clears throat> so we'll be following as things uh, move forward on that. Hopefully, UCF can get healthy as we get ready for Navy. A couple things we wanted to pass along. Also, make sure you follow us at UCF underscore Banneret for all the latest on UCF sports. You can follow us each individually. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez. Elo Bryson is at It's Bryson Turner on Twitter. And of course, you can hit us up at UCF underscore banner at Facebook.com slash black and gold banner as well. If you subscribe to our podcast already, thank you so much. Leave us a comment or a, a and a rating and tell us how you're doing and share us with one of your fellow friends. If you're not subscribed to us, you can do so very easily via Apple Podcasts if you're on uh, Apple devices or via Spotify if you're on non-Apple devices. That will do it for us. For Bryson and Eric, I'm Jeff. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will catch you next week. Enjoy the bye week.